Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Um, Stacy and I are full of emotion as we approach this moment, as you can imagine. We um, love you all. We're thankful to God for the years that he's given us with each of you. And, uh, and we're going to miss you very much. But we do believe that the Lord has led us to this decision uh, to go to Westwood Baptist Church. When I talk about God leading us, I, I don't mean a, a mystical kind of whispering in the ear or reading tea leaves, but rather just applying biblical wisdom uh, to the, the data um, that's in front of us. God providentially connected us uh, with this church in need of revitalization, and we found it in our desires to go and be a part of it. And we believe further that God has used our years here at Christ Covenant Church to prepare us for this moment. So we see the need, we feel excited to be a part, and we've been encouraged by a number of godly men and women uh, to move in this direction. And so in those ways, God has led us. So that brings us to this point, um, this point of saying goodbye uh, to all of you. There are several such moments, uh, goodbyes, in the book of Acts, actually. And, and there are two things that stand out as dynamics of Christian goodbyes, tears and prayers. Um, for instance, in Acts 20, uh, when Paul is with the, uh, the church in Ephesus, it says, when Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. There were, there were tears and there were prayers. There were tears because saying goodbye is painful. Um, you all are, are wonderful people. This is a wonderful, healthy church. Uh, Stacy and I started coming to this church as members, not, not on staff, but just because we love the church so much. We love Tom and Carol first, and then all of you. As we met you, I feel like an idiot for leaving, actually. Um, Tom asked me how I was feeling this morning. I said, I feel like I want to unpack my boxes and uh, settle back in. Uh, but, you know, in the body of Christ, we're, we're all trying to contribute to the common good. We're all trying to take our, our gifts, the things God has given us, and, and make the body uh, stronger. We're, we're each doing that, and as we do that, we become one body. We have interest in one another. We care for one another. We're, we're working to grow in faith, uh, but we're doing that together. Uh, we count on each other. You know, we, we learn when we have needs. We, we learn this reflex of turning to each other, seeking aid, seeking prayer from one another. But, but all of that is, is becoming part of the body. That's becoming um, part of the body. And becoming part of the body means becoming body parts. Um, and then amputating body parts is painful. Uh, separating and saying goodbye is painful. We feel like we have become one with this church in so many ways, and so separation is painful. You know, we've had challenges in our marriage and received prayer and encouragement from many of you. At the same time, we've prayed and talked through marriage struggles that many of you have had in marriage. We've welcomed 
our Olivia and Meredith into the world, and you celebrated and helped us, and we've been um, so happy along with many of you who have had children. Uh, you've given us countless words of encouragement as well as um, feedback, uh, you know, constructive criticism that has really ministered grace to us and been helpful. At the same time, uh, many of you have sought out words of encouragement and, and instruction from, from me, and I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that humility. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've loved so much about being a pastor is being able to study the Bible uh, together with you. Um, Going, going through men's Bible studies on Wednesday nights or, or with men and women during the summers and, and just studying the word of God together or one-on-one with another guy, just reading the Bible together, praying, memorizing scripture, or even when I preach and you come up and um, want to have discussion or, or, or affirmation afterwards, I uh, have really been sharpened in my love for God through all of you. It's been a privilege to grow in our love for and understanding of God's word together. I, I've loved that. Um, there's a wonderful unity in this church with very little behind-the-scenes drama and conflict that, that pervades so much of church life. I know we're not perfect, but I think on the whole, uh, Christ's covenant is a very unified body, and there's, there's much grace here as we seek to honor Christ and, and gospel-centered fellowship and unity, and that just is, is such a joy and a privilege for, for me to be part of. Uh, You have opened up your hearts to us. Um, And more than anything else, that's what I'm thankful for, um, that you've opened up your hearts to us and allowed us to serve here uh, with great joy and with love for all of you. And and so I think about saying goodbye, and and saying goodbye to you is is saying goodbye to, you know, in one sense, uh, mountains of grace that, that God has given to us. Uh, through your lives and, and through this church. And so, yeah, there, there are tears. Uh, we definitely feel that. Um, at the same time, there, there are prayers. Prayers because uh, there is work to be done. We're not going on vacation. We're going because we believe God has called us to, um, to work, to just be servants in a, another part of his kingdom. And we hope uh, that God will bless this endeavor, but for any number of reasons, it might not succeed. Uh, someone asked me the other day, wow, um, how do you hope to revitalize a church in the midst of COVID? I'm like, wow, what an encouraging question. Um, <laughs> that's, it's a great question. In fact, one, one church growth strategist said that one, one of the hardest groups to get back into church is going to be young families, um, which is the very demographic that Westwood has none of and needs so badly. Um, So there are challenges, but fundamentally it's a revitalization, which means using uh, biblical means to restore a church to health uh, as as defined by biblical criteria. So our plan for renewing and growing is not to uh, introduce changes, to change the music or put a sign out front that says under new management. Um, The winning formula is just doing the ordinary things that God promises to bless, proclaiming the word of God and his gospel and the dependent prayers of his people. And then those two things together, proclaiming and and praying, you know, that's the formula that God blesses, pandemic or not. Um, So there, there are additional reasons to be hopeful. Uh, Nashville, as you may know, is a rapidly growing city, and there are neighborhoods all around the church that are uh, just bustling. Vacant lots are being scooped up, and they're 
building new houses, older homes are being renovated. As you drive through the neighborhoods, you can feel uh, the neighborhoods themselves being uh, revitalized. People are moving into the area, and that's good because that means there are going to be people looking for churches and uh, And then there will be other people moving in who aren't looking for churches, but we'll be looking for them. And um, so as those neighborhoods are being revitalized, it's it's a good time for the church to be as well. And so while the work is dawning, I think we have reasons to be hopeful that as we come to God asking of him to bless us, that, that he will. He will make the work fruitful just as he has been faithful in the past, uh, he will show himself faithful in the future. And in my Bible reading in the mornings, I've been reading through Kings and Chronicles, and so often uh, you hear this phrase, they inquired of the Lord, or so-and-so, whatever king did not inquire of the Lord. And you know what was definitive in terms of God's blessing or not was whether they inquired of the Lord. Just ask God, and he wants to bless you. Um, and we feel ourselves in that situation. You know, we so often uh, go through life not feeling, sensing our dependence on God each day. But then there are moments like this one for us of transition where, where we really feel acutely our need for God, our dependence upon him. And we want to lean into that and, and ask of God uh, to bring fruit from this endeavor. And we, um, we would be honored if you would pray along with us for that. Not only today, but I would love for you to keep praying uh, with us for this church and for us that God might give us faith for this new challenge, um, that he might give us favor with the people at Westwood, that our ministry might be acceptable to them, and that he might bring fruit uh, from our labors. As we plant and water, it's always God who turns it into something, and and we would love to see God uh, make this fruitful. And finally, there are just a few words of thanksgiving um, that I'd like to make publicly. Uh, I want to express deep gratitude for Tom in particular. Um, One of my earliest memories of Tom, I think he doesn't do this anymore, but um, one of my earliest memories of Tom is going over to their house, and he had on his red NC State sweatpants um, with a slightly different colored red Maryland sweatshirt, um, very hard on the eyes, the, the differing shades. In fact, Rachel called him monochrome boy. Um, if you've been over to Tom's house on the weekend, maybe you've seen that outfit. But he and Carol opened up their homes, their, their home to us, and opened up their hearts and their, their lives to us. And we are eternally grateful uh, to you for that. I know you all see this, you all um, recognize this, but so much of who I am is uh, Tom transferred over into me. Uh, Jesus says a disciple is not above his teacher, but every disciple when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. And I don't don't know that I'm fully trained, but I know that I'm like Tom, or at least... um, that's how I process things. You know, I was in a conversation with some folks at Westwood the other day, and I found myself thinking, what would Tom say about this? You know, how would Tom think through this? And I, I think I'll be asking myself that question a lot in the next several months. So thank you, Tom. I'm very grateful to God for you. 
grateful to the elders as a whole for their support in this transition. Lots of um, pastors and churches, you know, when they learn one of their staff might leave, uh, they'd be offended, they'd treat him like a traitor, but uh, Tom and the elders have been supportive and encouraging through this transition. Their vision has always been to train healthy ministers to lead healthy churches. And God willing, this revitalization will just be another step in that process. And to the rest of the staff, I'm very grateful. You know they are wonderful people. I feel like I spend the bulk of my waking hours with them, and there's just some of the dearest friends I have, and um, it's hard to leave and uh, to say goodbye to them. So I'm grateful for each of you. And I'm thankful to you as a church. Uh, we, like I said, we, we love you. We've been deeply grateful uh, to God for the ministry and the friendships that he's given us here. The grace that you have extended to us has been immense. And uh, so while we are excited and hopeful about the work that God has called us to, uh, we are not excited to leave Christ's covenant. The other uh, day, Stacy used the word crushed to describe her feelings about leaving, uh, which I think is accurate uh, for both of us, though we are excited about what God has called us to. We feel uh, both of those things. So, um, so we, we believe God has led us in this direction, and, and we're thankful for the affirmation and support of the elders and pastors for um, the encouragement and the grace that you all have ministered to us, and we feel uh, completely dependent upon God. And just ask that you would join us in that dependence, that you uh, would pray with us, that our ministry would be fruitful, that God would give us favor with the congregation there. Um, we cannot thank you enough uh, for the past 11 years that we've been here. And it's with heavy hearts and with tears and we hope with your prayers uh, that we say goodbye. So I speak for Stacy and I both when I say uh, we love you and we will miss you very much. Thanks, Nick, for sharing that. I, um, I said last week that this is bittersweet. It is. The bitterness is obvious. We have integrated with this family, love them, and they're not going to be with us anymore. They're not going to walk through life with us. And there is a bitterness to that that we are wise to just admit. Uh, the sweetness, I think, is not so obvious to us. I think the sweetness is seen in that, as Nick has given good word to, uh, that this is a work of God, revitalizing a church. Um, is a challenging, it's a daunting task. Uh, but it is a task that is fueled by the Spirit of God using ordinary means of grace, preaching, prayer, leadership, fellowship, uh, so that the gospel will be proclaimed clearly in Nashville. This is a huge endeavor. That uh, it's, not, it's not rooted in the capabilities, the giftings, as gifted as I believe Nick is. It's not rooted in our faculties. It's rooted in the promise that Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so we go forth in doing that. There's a sweetness to having the gospel planet there and doing its saving, gracious saving work. There's, a, there's also a subtle sweetness in the fact that what he's trying to do is establish a church that will benefit generations. Uh, that when he's long gone, it, it will be serving and helping people still being a gospel preaching center. That our ministry is always looking to go to the next generation. We're always looking uh, to establish a work that will continue on well beyond our own years. So 
for that, I'm, I'm thankful that Nick and Stacy are taking up this, this challenge. And, and that's what I want to charge him to do, charge him to do well. For, first, a few personal reflections. Uh, it was December of 2008 that Nick and I had coffee over at Starbucks at, uh, at Target. He was an earnest young man, I could tell, very intelligent, very gifted, excited to do the work of ministry. He went to Capitol Hill to do a six-month internship, but then he, he joined us. Got married, of course, to Stacy in June. Joined us in, in 2009 and was a faithful, good member. I remember him setting aside money in his budget so as to go out to lunch with people to meet them. Intentional integration with the church. It was remarkable. Grabbing people he didn't know. It's a standard for us to follow, really. Then he came on staff in 2011 in July time frame and he's been with us now all these nine years. In these years, he got married, of course, and graduated, had two precious little children, Livia and Meredith, and, um, and so now we're at this day. As I look back, Nick, over the nine years, um, we've talked oh, forever about theological issues, about pastoral situations. We've done mission trips together. Uh, we have, he has sat next to me for f close to 500 staff meetings. You're not going to miss that, I can't imagine. Uh, we have spent a lot of time together. We've laughed and cried. He is a very he's a he's a better hugger now, which I, I take credit for that. <laughs> he now hugs very well and doesn't run from me when I say, "Come in, give me a hug." Um, I I will. the 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 time is going very quickly. And that's a, a good sign. I, I love you dearly. I really do. I'll miss you deeply. But you're on the threshold of a, of a work of God that we trust. You've been called. You're a changed man. The grace of God. We have watched it mature you in theology and practice. Uh, you are gifted and you're called. That's been confirmed by the leadership of this church and by the flock that you've served. And it, it, it will be a tall order, no doubt. But it's, it's a good work, and we're thankful to God for you. And uh, we're thankful to God for all that he's done in you and in us through you. Uh, so, so, Nick, without being too presumptive, I just want to take Paul's words to Timothy. I see us in many ways in that relationship. Uh, and just, just remind you of the truths that were read. And you know the passage in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, one to five. There's really three things I want to draw on. First, that I want to charge you to minister, to fulfill your ministry in the presence of God. So in verse one, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. It, you know, Timothy was actually a young man, uh, not, not deeply experienced, had health issues, was facing some severe criticism in the church, in Ephesus, it was a cosmopolitan town, a very wealthy uh, church. And it was, I'm sure, daunting for him to engage. And so Paul is seeking to encourage him, encourage him, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God. So the nearness of God is your goodness. You know, that, that literally it's before the face of God. The proximity of God assures you of both his, not just his presence, but his sight, his care, his love, his overseeing of you. You're not just authorized to go, but he is going to be overseeing the work that you do. This idea of God, the doctrine of God's continual presence, 
is to strengthen you and to encourage you. But not just God's presence. Notice he includes Christ Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. You know, when Paul calls you to shepherd your ministry, it's both in the presence of God, but also with a view of Jesus Christ returning as a judge uh, of both living and the dead. So we often think about Christ, and, and our, our ministries are rooted in the historical truth of Christ coming and dying and, and being raised, and that salvation would be proclaimed to sinners, hope to the hopeless. And that's true. That's what it's rooted in. But it's done with a view to that day that he comes. Uh, this really raises the stakes. I mean, this makes your words uh, the aroma of life or death. Eternal life hangs in the balance of what you do in that place. You know, many people think that the Puritans were just against anything church or tradition. They took the stained glass windows out of the church, and people thought, well, they're just opposed to stained glass. They had no problem with colored glass. They wanted the preacher to see the cemetery so that when he preached, he would be sober-minded, he'd be serious. He'd recognize that either Christ is returning or the people in front of me are going to be buried all around this church, and so I better preach that way and, and minister that way. So, so minister in the presence of God and in the knowledge that the men and the women that you'll be speaking to, they will either go to him or he will come to them. But that's the day that you're preparing them for. Secondly, he charges you to preach the word in and out of season. Look in verse 2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Uh, so here this ministry is one of preaching. Now, just in the previous chapter, in just a few verses before, he speaks about the nature of God's word. He says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you see the nature of God's word. The nature of God's word is that it's breathed out. It's God-breathed. It's not from human wisdom. It's not based on human experience. It's not suggestive. He is instructing you to reprove, rebuke, encourage, instruct, teach. Notice what he says, though, equipped for every good work. And that word equipped means it's to furnish. So it's like taking an empty room that's used, that really isn't even usable, and it's to put chairs, and it's to put tables. It's to make it usable. Nick, what you're doing is you're preaching the word to equip them to be ready to see God. Uh, that you're to do it with an urgency, in season and out of season. That you're to rebuke them, reprove them with patience. Why with patience? Well, because they won't always want to listen to you. They'll go off listening to other voices. He says it in 3 and 4. He says, For a time's coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth. This really requires faith for the minister because the, the, the way that God builds his church, as Nick spoke to, is very ordinary. It's the week after week preaching of the word. It's not flashy. It's not sexy. It's not to be innovative. It's just to be the breaking of God's word week after week, and that's how God forms a people. That's where your faith is to rest that the breaking of the word, God will build a people. And then last, uh, charging you that as a minister that you will endure suffering. Look with me at verse 5. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
to fulfill your ministry, it has to be to endure suffering. There's a seriousness to ministry. Now, Timothy would have seen Paul sacrifice. And you may not sacrifice in the same ways as Paul in terms of much of the physical suffering, but there is the suffering of being spoken ill of or loneliness. You're, in a, you're going into a new community with not a lot of friends, with not a lot of um, relationships. Uh, people you know, will hold you at a distance because you're a pastor of the church. Um, it's a lonely work. There is suffering that you'll endure. And you will need to walk that suffering out well. God will bring suffering into your life so that you walk it out well, so that they learn how to suffer watching you suffer. How are you going to do this? It, you know, earlier in the letter, Paul had written about the good deposit, that the, the news that God has given to us a son to save us from the chaos of our world, to draw us to himself. You have words of life. I think when Jesus was teaching about the cost of discipleship and people were leaving, and he looks at Peter and the others and said, do you want to leave too? And he says, where will we go for the words of life? That's what you're going to be preaching. Cherishing the gospel, seeing the beauty of the gospel, showing the worth of Christ will enable you to suffer well. So Nick, let me charge you with these, with these specifics. Nick, I charge you to delight in God. Let the presence of God be a mountain of hope for you. Let it be your courage. Let it be your strength. As you face life and situations that are going to be beyond your experience and your knowledge. Rest that God is sovereign, directing, guiding, leading, causing all things to work together for the good of his church and the good of you, Stacy, and the family. Nick, treasure Christ above all. Paul says, that he resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Let that be your greatest knowledge, your greatest hope, your greatest joy. Imitate his love, follow his ways, embrace his compassion, draw in his strength. Make your life, your sacrifice, your service, and your love a reflection of his ministry to you. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be in fear of men. Never seek the admiration of men. Be like the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. If that's the case, you'll love your people extraordinarily well. Nick, be a man of the book. Let your life be guided by the scriptures. Let your love be defined by the scriptures. Let your ministry be conformed to the scriptures. Learn the word, love the word, rest in the word, preach the word. In this age of mindless spirituality, in this age of inconsistent tolerance, in this age of, of evaporating truth, never waver on the word. It's the word that reshapes and remolds and remakes men and women into the image of God. You know, I think about Paul in Colossians when he says, Him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is, to be a man of the book. And Nick, love your people with humility and grace. Uh, teach with humility, rebuke with gentleness. Many of them will be older than you. Um, seek God's grace when they hurt you, they speak ill, or they fail to appreciate the labor that you do. Carry them as a parent, carry as a child to God, seeking their best in prayer. And Nick, cherish Stacy with a sacrificial, consistent, jealous love. Treat her as a gift of God seeking to love and honor and lead her in an ever-increasing love for her Father in heaven and love. Olivia and Meredith, 
not as a pastor, but as a father, and you will give them a love for the church that will be like your own. And then last, watch your life and doctrine. Live above reproach like a good soldier. Don't get tangled up in the affairs of this world. Let your personal life mirror your pastoral life. The life you have behind the pulpit, let that be the life you live in the home. Strive always to keep your conscience clear before God and man. In all you do, Nick, may the love, may the love of Christ dwell in you richly so that in all things, in all ways, in all times, you may bring glory to God, the Father in heaven. I'd like to ask Stacy if you would come up, staff, and, and Ray, would you, um, Keith, would you come and pray for us, please? We have a small gift for Nick and Stacy. Um, we know that you'll want to say goodbye to them. We'll have them. Uh, they'll be outside, of course, not on the sidewalk, but we'll have them outside. And uh, we'd love for you to meet them and, and uh, give a word of, of grace to them.